Well, I want to welcome everyone who is listening and joining us uh, for the First Church podcast here. Um, just one thing I want to say real quick. If you are watching this on YouTube, uh, hit the like or subscribe button. Uh, just really kind of um, help out our, our YouTube channel for Facebook. If you are listening through the podcast, through Apple or whatever that might be, uh, I encourage you to subscribe. Well, I want to introduce my guest today. Uh, his name is Brendan Glass. He's been with me before. Actually, I think uh, you and I have done this more than I've done it with anybody as far as the podcast is concerned. And so just thank you for being here, uh, Pastor Glass. Uh, today, um, what we're going to do is, uh, it's February, it's Black History Month. One of the things that uh, I'd hope to do, and I think the church is trying to do at large, just in general, is trying to do a better job bridging the racial gap in the church. And uh, so our conversations that we've had are just kind of hoping to do that, bring Christ glory. So thank you for being here. Uh, today we're going to discuss the book, Jesus and the Disinherited. Yes. Um, I'm going to let you talk a little bit more about the author, but I just want to give a, a little bit of reason why we're discussing this book. Uh, a while back, we were having conversations and uh, we were just talking about Dr. King and what influenced him. And uh, from what I understand, Dr. King basically carried two books with him all the time. One was the Bible and uh, the other was this book by Howard Thurman called Jesus and the Disinherited. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm a big believer uh, in reading books that influenced great men of history. And uh, when it comes to, uh, um, I don't know, thinking about Black History Month in the context of our own country, there are a few people as great as Dr. King. So uh, tell us a little bit about the author uh, as we kind of get started. Yeah, I'm excited. Thank you, Josh, once again for you know being uh, just being one of the agents of change in the body of Christ. Um, it takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of intentionality. It takes a lot of, um, you know, just takes a lot of faith, you know, to be able to say, you know what, I want to be a part of the generation of pastors that are going to work to make things better for our grandkids when it comes to issues of uh, race and Christianity. So I commend you that this is not just a one and done for you, but you've been consistent for this for years. Um, so all of you members of First Church, you guys have a great one. Um, and everyone that is watching, if you're ever in the Talmadge area, come visit my man. Um, so yeah, we need to talk about this book. This is a very important book. Um, I, I, will, I will be disciplined. I'll look at my watch because I can talk about Howard Thurman for a very long time. <laughs> but we have a lot of conversation to have. Um, but yeah, if you get this book, and we do encourage you to get this book. It's not a big book. It's real small, but it is powerful. Don't let the size of the book, uh, don't let the size of the book mislead you to think, oh, I can fly right through this. You cannot. <laughs> he says some things that you literally have to put it down, close your eyes and be like, whoa, um, when you read through this book. Um, and like Josh said, he's, he was probably the primary influencer of Martin Luther King in terms of nonviolent resistance. Hmm. Um, so Howard Thurman um, was a man raised by his grandmother. Uh, there are a few documentaries that you can find him on him online if you want to watch it. Very powerful man. Um, he, 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 his Christian upbringing was by his grandmother. Um, who, you know, she had ties to slavery because he was born at the turn of the century. Um, and she raised him, you know, she was a godly fearing woman. Um, so he kind of latched onto her faith at a young age. And um, as a result of that, decided to pursue um, uh, ministry, you know. So, you know, he went to Morehouse College and, you know, he, he was interested there in studying theology. And then after that, um, he went to seminary. Um, and it was in these experiences uh, where he really came to know 
Jesus. Hmm. Um, this is when he really came to know Jesus, not so much Christianity, but to know Jesus. And it made him actually not so much turn against Christianity, but it kind of made him shift his perspective of Christianity. In the book, he talks about it often where he doesn't even like to refer to Christianity. He likes to call it the religion of Jesus, huh. um, the way yeah. that Jesus lived, the way that Jesus walked. Um, so he was an individual who went to school with a man by the name of, I think his original name was Dexter King. Uh, not many people know that name, but the real name is Martin Luther King Sr. So Martin Luther King Sr., he changed his name from Dexter to Martin Luther King Sr. They were at school together. They became friends. And not surprisingly, there are a few people who are influential African-Americans. They were kind of the parents of the generation of the civil rights movement. There's a few of them. Um, that have relationships and a lot of times you know it's kind of like wow how did that happen is that yeah. divine orchestration and all this yeah. other stuff yeah. um yes and no um in those days if you're a college educated um you were considered what uh wb the boys called the talented 10th mm -hmm. and the, the the role i mean and in that in that time in that period um that was the goal let's bring our minds together let's come together let's, yeah you know if you are interested in this you guys if your minds are interested collectively on this particular thing let's put you guys together so um, you know, Howard Thurman, you know, he wanted to be a ministry. He wanted to be this person who fought for social justice. And so did Martin Luther King Sr. and other Was people. he connected with the University of Atlanta? Which one? Uh, Howard Thurman. Howard Thurman. With I the boys know. when he was in it? I don't know. Okay. I don't know. Yes. He was Sorry, I just interrupted. No, it's yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah, you're fine. Yeah. You're fine. Yeah. You're fine. Um, probably not uh, because there's not a lot of conversation about the two of them together. Um, but I could be wrong. I'm not, uh -huh. a, I'm not a historian. I love history, yeah. but I'm not a historian. I could be wrong about that. Um, but that whole movement of uh, that whole movement of let's get our great African Americans together. Um, so that's how his relationship with uh, Martin Luther King Sr. Uh, developed. And as uh, Josh said earlier, um, you know this book was highly influential on Martin Luther King. Um, he talks about it briefly in this book. You have to read more biographies on him to see that you know a lot of times when I was growing up, it was you know. Mahatma Gandhi was the originator of the nonviolent or nonviolent resistance movement, mm -hmm. and Martin Luther King learned from him. Yeah. By him. That's how we were raised. Yeah. Um, but it's not until I started learning about Howard Thurman to say, no, actually, Howard Thurman took some students when he was a professor over to India, um, and that's you know one of the main reasons he went to was to learn about how they came out from under British rule. How yeah. they kind of protested against that, how their fight for struggle was going, among other things. Yeah. Um, and he basically became a student to his nonviolent movement. Mm -hmm. Howard Thurman came back and he kind of became the mentor to Martin Luther King to teach him about the movement of nonviolent resistance and really put a spin on it that really is necessary to learn, which is why this book is so important. Yeah. Because when we think of nonviolent resistance, we just think it of as simple turn the other cheek. Mm -hmm. Not realizing that actually when Jesus said turn the other cheek, there's a depth there that many people don't realize. And that's what people are. And that's what this book really gets into. There's a depth to nonviolence resistance yeah. that goes beyond just taking it on the chin. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, Howard Thurman is an amazing, amazing man. Um, many people call him theologian, but he will because he's kind of in that vein of black liberation theology. It's not really respected as a theologian. Um, yeah. yeah. And even like, I, I don't know, maybe maybe you would push back on this like i don't read thurman as like a, a black theologian or black uh liberation theology per like i don't i don't see i guess i don't see him like mm -hmm. on the I, I can see how he influences mm -hmm. black liberation theology and so i could be completely wrong about this i don't know enough about black liberation theology 
um, because I think that scares a lot of people yes, away, you know, <laughs> uh, uh, for certain reasons, like, mm-hmm. um, uh, while at the same time, obviously he, he is trying to help people to be free from the bondage of oppression, mm-hmm. um, being disinherited, all of those sorts of things, but almost in like a mystical mm-hmm. sense or spiritual sense mm-hmm. as well. Uh, obviously the physical is important if he's taking people over to meet Gandhi. Um, so continue, sure. and then I have another thought I just want to share before right. we even get into the book. I'm but go yeah. back and forth, man. Let's go back yeah. and forth. That's the best. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, so yeah, mm-hmm. so black liberation theology. Um, some people will consider him as kind of one of the precursors. To, yeah, you know, not necessarily something that he was really into because you know he was really about a, a, a universal faith. You mm-hmm. know, um, he even was the one of the founders of the first intentional interracial churches in America. Mm-hmm. I think it was in California. Yeah. Um, now, obviously, his doctrine strayed a little bit from our doctrine, mm-hmm. um, but when it came to like the core tenets of the faith, you know, yeah. he was kind of a believer in that type of stuff. Yeah. Um, but you know, Howard Thurman, uh, you know, in his own right, I would consider him a theologian. Yeah. Um, with a particular bend, I've read mm-hmm. about three or four of his books. Yeah. Um, and all of them speak; they read like a theologian. Yeah. You know? Oh yeah. yeah like he, he, I mean, when I'm reading this, it's like. Like you said, like he probably strays a little bit from, uh, not necessarily a ton in this book, but you can kind of see where he's going with some things. And like, okay, he might stray from like this doctrinal point a little mm-hmm. bit or, or here or there. But when you're reading one, he is he's kind of going back to the, <laughs> to the scriptures at different times. And then also it's like, man, you you can like feel the ethos of Jesus coming mm-hmm. through this man. Mm-hmm. Like he's been deeply impacted. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm by christ in the scriptures yes and to me it's like i'm going to read anybody who i feel like really has been influenced mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. by christ in the scriptures even if like, like okay i think you got this just a little bit wrong here so like if you're ever listening to this podcast or whatever and you're like well he's he's not perfectly orthodox christian like we have to have thick enough skin yes. and we have to be able to like be able to separate the wheat from the chaff mm-hmm. and um and what is what like what where he is right and where he is good man he is good he's, he's oh like, my gosh yeah you know yeah so yeah. in terms of the civil uh-huh. rights so a lot of people say when and, you know to bring it to a close mm-hmm. when they say that um, you know the civil rights movement which mm-hmm. was an amazing powerful movement in our country to kind of bring about yeah. social change uh, for African Americans and other minorities a lot of people say the civil rights movement was built on Howard Thurman mm-hmm. um, so that's kind of him in a nutshell and yeah. that's why when you say hey you want to talk about howard thurman let's yeah. go yeah um, because he's one of those unsung heroes yeah like, he's one of those names that will not come up um yeah. but he's so important so influential uh over many people and the most popular uh was uh martin luther king jr yeah so yeah let's get it yeah man so here's here's just a thought even before we get into the book like mm-hmm. um but I, I think it's kind of fun because what, what you said is that you know a lot of people actually credit gandhi for um, Dr. King's mm-hmm. nonviolent resistance a way of protesting and so forth and, and leading the civil rights movement. And yet, it in reality, uh, that idea came from the scriptures that influenced mm-hmm. Howard Thurman. And Howard Thurman took, uh, took this group of students over to meet Gandhi mm-hmm. because Gandhi was actually kind of, in a way, instituting the christian ethic yeah. against yep. against people who actually claim to be christians mm-hmm. um and, and so which is it's just kind of interesting like mm-hmm. he's you know uh um dr king is trying to figure out okay what is and so is howard thurman like mm-hmm. what does this look like in practice and who's doing it whether they're christian or not 
Um, and so that's just an interesting thing yeah. to think about. And also, I think that if you've if you kind of had this preconceived notion that you know Dr. King was more influenced by Hinduism than Christianity, I, I think it's probably that's somewhat of a false narrative as well. It is definitely false narrative. You know? Yeah, I mean, I can't. Re- mm-hmm. So you know, they, I've heard this quote. People have quoted this. I've never yeah. read it myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I've looked for it on the internet. I think because um, I really want to know if he actually said this. Um, but one of the uh, one of the pop culture quotes of Aunt Gandhi is, "I love Christ. I just can't stand his people." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. and I, I don't know if that's a, I don't know if he yeah. actually said that or not. Yeah. Um, but I believe that there, you know, when you he even talks about it in a book a little bit. Um, well, actually, it's in the preface a little bit about how there's just this, you know, for people who were Hindu, they were just kind of this question of why. <laughs> could you follow that faith like yeah. as to african-american yeah we can talk about that because he yeah he talks about that yeah yeah so okay yeah. cool i can't wait to get into that point yeah um but um see so yeah, i'm glad you brought that up uh-huh. because you know the christian ethic introduced non-violent resistance to the world now that doesn't mean that people were not promoting non-violence before christ mm-hmm. but it was christianity that really introduced that as yeah. a way of bringing dignity back to individuals who are oppressed yeah so when we start talking about Walter Week wrote an excellent book on nonviolence, and he actually broke down like the cultural significance of turning the other cheek. And Can you remember that? What the book's called? Nonviolence. Okay. I'll bring it next week. I'll find All right. It. Yeah. It's a cool. little itty bitty book. Walter Week. Uh, if you write Walter Week nonviolence, it'll probably be, it'll pop up. It's a little small black and white book. Yeah. Um, and he just breaks it down. He breaks yeah. it down what nonviolence resistance does and what it mm-hmm. really what, how it when it's used properly it's a more powerful weapon than violence yeah so. yeah and that's that's kind of the premise we'll get into it right now mm-hmm. of howard thurman's book jesus and the disinherited so the first chapter that he writes there's there's six chapters or five chapters mm-hmm. um the the first chapter that he writes is just called an interpretation and mm-hmm. so basically it's an interpretation of jesus jesus and christianity from the perspective of what Howard calls those with their backs against the wall. And so he's writing, the purpose of him writing this book is to answer this question, what does Jesus have to say to those with their backs against the wall? And he defines these people as the poor, the disinherited, and the dispossessed. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the things he says on page two is Christianity began at a time when they would face persecution and suffering at the hands of the powerful who secured their power through brutality against the defenseless people. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he, he goes back right to the beginning of, of Christianity and just reminding people of the social context and the political context that Christianity began. And he's writing, so he's, and so he's trying to write from that perspective uh, for people who who mm-hmm. find themselves in that situation or feel like they are in that situation. And so, I don't know, what do you feel, how do you think about this premise? Man, or like, does he have, is that how, like, is that something we should be thinking of and we rarely think of or, uh, I think yeah. So. so I love how the first book of the, the first chapter of the book is called an interpretation because it really is a personal hermeneutic. You really think like how he kind of, yeah. Like he really breaks down the culture of Jesus's life. He breaks down the context of Jesus's life. He breaks down Jesus's life in a way to where we really can almost breathe the air yeah. <laughs> when you're there. And then he says, okay, now that we're in the time period of Jesus, let's look at these people over here that Jesus was preaching to. Mm. 
And I don't know about you, but when what really messed me up when I find a quote, I think uh-huh. it's I'll find a quote. Yes. Maybe I, I yeah. underlined it. Um, I'll, I'll look for it when you start talking. But I don't know if this messed you up. But there was a point where he basically said, "How he is he makes a statement, but I'm gonna make it a rhetorical question." He was like, "How is it that a religion that was preached to the poor and abused and persecuted?" is now in the hands of those in power. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it's just like like the original audience, it was a direct message. Your back is up against the wall. You're this, you're poor, you're downtrodden, you're 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 exploited. But guess what? God loves you. God sent me for you. And all mm-hmm. this, this was a message to the poor. Mm-hmm. And you know, one of the things that um what what intrigued me about this book, which made it a turn page turner, because I never thought of that. Mm-hmm. Like, how did this message leave the hands of the disinherited mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. end up in the hands of the powerful to where it can be used against those that yeah. it was originally for? Yeah. <laughs> and so I, I think, like, when we think about that, right, we have to, to me, I think a couple things, like, we have to think about is, one, right, the legitimate ways in which Christianity mm-hmm. changed culture yeah. for the positive, for, for the positive, like, mm-hmm. uh like I'm not a West hater. Like I don't hate. Like I don't hate the West, right? Like, yeah. um, uh, personally, I think. Well, if you just look at the West, we have more wealth. We actually, it's a. If you're poor, it's better to live in the West. I, I think that's hard to argue. Uh, while at the same time, like those in the West or in the United States have also caused a lot of suffering in, mm-hmm. in different ways, and yeah. we've even used Christianity uh, unjustly and wrongly. Um, and so I, I think you can like hold both of those positions. Mm-hmm. Uh, fairly competently mm-hmm. um while at the same time like i do think for those of us uh, or anybody um who is not poor mm-hmm. right who maybe is in the dominant culture um who uh yeah and not poor in the dominant culture basically whatever the dominant culture is at, at the time and they are a christian like they do need to think about their faith mm-hmm. from the perspective of like, what if I weren't? <laughs> right. Um, right. And the historical reality that uh, Jesus and his followers were not um, during his ministry, and they definitely weren't after his ministry, right. uh, his death and resurrection. Um, and so one of the things, and maybe we, we can t- just talk about this now because uh, I was going to kind of maybe get to this, because like I think at the tail end of what you're talking about, um, what uh, Thurman goes into this idea that um, some of our even good works or charitable works, mm-hmm. and I mean, you know, he writes in a different time. He writes, 80, I don't know, 80 years ago, maybe. So I do think we've made some progress and um, uh, since that time. But you know, he even writes that like uh, a lot of I think what he feels about Christian charity, maybe even he doesn't he doesn't use like coming from white people or whatever, but. Um, just coming from the dominant culture or, or, or maybe Christian white people. Um, this, is, this is basically what he says, is that often Christian charity comes from the sin of pride and arrogance that has, has tended to uh, vitate, I'd actually up that word that means spoil, the missionary impulse and make it the instrument of self-righteousness on the one hand and racial superiority on the other. And then what he does is he basically says that this is why there's no brotherhood. Mm. Um, and so I found that really interesting uh, and just thought thought about like, is there a point, even like me, if I go to Guatemala, uh, um, 
or let's just say I go to downtown Akron yeah. in, a, in a poor neighborhood that's predominantly black uh, and am trying, uh, trying to serve or what, whatever, at what point does it just become patronizing? Mm. Um, like, where does my heart have to be or, or what might I do or say where it just becomes patronizing? Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, like, I mean, I, I think your parents have d- did fairly well for themselves growing up or, you know, I don't think you grew up poor or whatever, uh, but I do think you maybe have a perspective of or had friends or, or whatever um, who have been put in those situations where maybe here comes uh, the white Christian church to, to help or whatever. Um, what types of attitudes or maybe, um, I, I don't know, postures? Yeah. Maybe sometimes seem patron, which actually makes it feel like okay, we yeah. can't be brought. Like if you're looking down on us, like if you're doing this because you think there's the, and, and I like, and this is a you know this kind of, we can talk we'll, we can talk about the details and nuances of this, um, but yeah, if you feel like as the person who's receiving help, if you're being looked down on, um, and instead of them seeing themselves as like the only reason that I'm not in this situation is by the grace of God was born in a good family into this, you know, whatever that might be. Yeah. Yeah. Same, same. So here's the thing, like Mm -hmm. it is something that you can identify, you know, by race, you can identify it by socioeconomic status. Mm -hmm. You can identify even by culture. When I went to Mozambique a few years ago, I went there to, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm a, I'm a learner. I Mm -hmm. went there to learn. Yeah. I wanted to learn. I want to learn culture more what's like what's faith like over here and i went there and immediately there was this line of division it was like this line like you're from america we're from over here mm-hmm. and we kind of it's the approach of we are almost conditioned and trained and programmed to look up to you mm-hmm. now these are pastors that were village pastors that are coming from uh you know different village churches yeah. To a center for a retreat that we were running. And these pastors were, you know, I'm in my thirties. These dudes are in their fifties and sixties and they got yeah. testimonies of, you know, we had to hide from the guerrilla warfare yeah. and we got situations where we're praying for people who are sick and they like their faith healed. is real, right? Like, yeah. like <laughs> you know, and they're looking up to me. And I'm like, you know, there's just kind of this, <laughs> there's this inner programming inside. Well, because you are American, because you have money, you're better than us. And I'm trying to have information from them. And like, can you teach me something? And I'm like, I need you to teach me something. Like, teach me. Yeah. And, and I think to go to that point, yeah, it's something that's there. It's something that I believe is one of the ills of humanity mm-hmm. um, that, that, that need to be over. <laughs> yeah. um, and it's unfortunate because what I think Howard Thurman is alluding to, speaking to um, directly and indirectly at points is how the problem is not the handout. The problem is when it's just the handout. Mm-hmm. Like we are supposed to be concerned with what he talks about in the book, restoring dignity to people Amen. who have yeah. lost the dignity. Yeah. Now, if, if if we don't think that to that step, then we got a problem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if we don't yeah. think how can I improve your situation if for me I just feel good handing out a couple hot plates at Thanksgiving meal and then we you know we go back to each other's corners then we're still perpetuating the divide 
But it really has to go to that next step. You know, mm-hmm. how can we influence policy? How can we influence communities? How mm-hmm. can we do those particular things? Because when I do that, then that, sh- that goes against what he's saying. Then it is, then it does become a true brotherhood. Mm-hmm. You know, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. Everyone had everything in common. Yeah. I was so convicted. Whenever I go to mission trip, I always get c- convicted. Yeah. I think about my office. And I think about my office and my friends who are pastors in yeah. Mozambique and Sri Lanka and India. You know, yeah. I think about, you know, and I was like, we don't have everything in common. What's going on here? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it brings conviction to me. I don't know what a guy wants me to do with it yet. But I think that's what, you know, Howard Thurman is really speaking to. It's just like, there's just this, there's this divide between the haves and the haves nots. Mm-hmm. And the haves in the faith are supposed to be giving so the have nots mm-hmm. and the haves can be the same. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's and that that's that whole. This is who Jesus is. Mm-hmm. This is what Jesus left us. Um, ministry that Howard Thurman was passionate about. Yeah, like you said, that ethos, that ethic, the, the 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 significance of him doing everything from allowing children to come to him, women to come to mm-hmm. him, the lepers to come to him, the poor to come to him. Like yeah. all this stuff is so significant, but we just gloss over it. Yeah, yeah. So. So maybe speaking of that a little more, just like the premise of like Jesus, the ministry of Jesus is for those with who are disinherited, mm-hmm. like with their backs against the wall, the poor, the mm-hmm. the um, the dispossessed. Why why do you think? Obviously, you talked about Jesus allowing the women and the children. Is there anything else that comes to mind? Like, hey, that is that is something that we need to return to thinking about. Like, not that we need to necessarily make ourselves poor although that does seem to be <laughs> you know a possible command right like yeah. in the scriptures yeah. um or dispossessed like i'm not looking to be persecuted right like i'm not looking to suffer like <laughs> right, i don't right, want right. my government yeah. like you know to come down on me heavy-handedly right. <laughs> uh for being a christian uh while at the same time like that how, how do you think jesus found himself like mm. you know did you do you think that's where jesus found himself and his followers probably that's it. That's the, you know, Howard Thurman says something amazing. He was like, Gee, and in, in in the first chapter where he talks about how, you know, he would if Jesus, being that he was born in a circumstance of poor, that really made him more the Son of Man as opposed if he was born in Rome to royalty. Mm-hmm. And is there seems to be a lot of intentionality in God's wisdom in the environment, the setting, and even the people group that yeah. he was born into that speaks volumes to the heart of God. Mm-hmm. And the question to go on with your point is like, you know, how, oh, how far we have seemed to have strayed from that um, to the heart of God is like, that should be our passion. That should be our passion of those who are the disinherited, those who have their backs up against the walls. But, you know, in our context, in our circumstance, you know, our highest value and I challenge many people, I highly value, um, I challenge myself rather, um, in many circumstances, is comfort. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like comfort. Like that's, it is. that's one of, that's our idol. Oh man, it's comfort <laughs> and security right now, right? Yeah. Like to me, like that's, the, that, that's I, certainly my, I like, I struggle with it. Oh, God, um, yes. Comfort and security. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I don't say things sometimes I want to <laughs> say or do things that I probably should do on Christ's mm-hmm. behalf. Mm-hmm. Um, because I'm, I'm worried about losing one of those towards sort one of those two things. Sometimes it's reputation or whatever, but I think reputation is wrapped up in comfort and security. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, 
so yeah so to read especially the new testament i mean you can you can obviously go back to the old testament and that's too to read it as like protecting those two two things is is, is probably not the right way to read it. i think about so i'm starting a, a series sunday and we're starting with luke mm-hmm. and luke writes to a name a man named theophilus uh who most likely was a a like a roman guard or like a somebody up somebody in, up like kind of higher echelon of roman society mm-hmm. roman well, not royalty but dignified person yeah. and um luke was a, a gentile jew may have even been a servant he was a doctor but like not like today's doctor right, right? right. <laughs> um he doctors even could be servants and owned mm-hmm. by so he might have been owned by theophilus at some point in time um he seems to be writing to theophilus who finds himself now a part of a small sect of Judaism mm. as a non-Jew, because mm-hmm. now he's become a Christian, which mm-hmm. really was a Jewish off, off like they were, a, they were, they broke off from Judaism mm-hmm. to, to follow Jesus and were welcoming in these Christians. Well, at this point in time, in the first century, as, as Luke is writing to this man named Theophilus, uh, it's not a great time to be a Christian. Mm, no. Like <laughs> nobody likes you. Right. Right. So th- if you live in Galilee, if you live in Israel, at this point in time, the Jewish people don't like you because you've left Judaism mm-hmm. in their minds. And so they don't like you. <laughs> um, and if you're a Roman, Rome doesn't like you because why? Jesus is, Jesus is Lord. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and you've, you've left the Greek gods, Roman gods, and so forth. And so you're a, you're a minority, literally, with your back up against the wall. Right. I mean, people who wrote the Bible, right? they're... they're, they're all of these apostles, yeah. all of these preachers who uh, continue to, to preach, teach, and uh, take the gospel to the ends of the earth and all ethnic groups, they're, they're eventually persecuted and killed. Yeah. And so I, I think you find Theophilus, like, what he's doing, I, I think the reason Luke is writing to him is because he's considering, like, whether or not mm-hmm. he wants to join mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. dispossessed group. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and so I think, you know, I think Thurman... Anybody who reads Thurman, I, I think, can kind of, like, it, it kind of helps now, like, even read through the Gospel of Luke, um, and maybe Acts, mm-hmm. uh, from that perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's that's a good, uh, I think that's definitely a good correlation to, what well, you know, to this book mm-hmm. um, that we're reading, because you're right, like, there was no high value, there was no illusion, there was no promise even of comfort mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> you know in this like in, you you actually had to decide to give up comfort yes. and security to go follow mm-hmm. jesus exactly and yeah. that's the way it was until you know like uh 315 the edict of milan uh 320 when uh the when christianity became the state adopted religion wrong mm-hmm. before that christianity was always in an insecure space yeah you know and that's why I believe this book and you know his thoughts and his thought pattern um, is hard to process sometimes because mm-hmm. we're so from, so Christianity so far removed from that mm-hmm. in our context. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now you go to you know a Muslim country, well, yeah, maybe. Yeah, China, um, you know, communist mm-hmm. China. Right, yeah, right, yeah. right. Um, but yeah, man, this is that's the Bible definitely speaks the language that Howard Thurman is using. 
yeah yeah and that's why like first time i read it and stuff i'm like man this is, this is good mm -hmm. like you know mm -hmm. um and just very helpful mm -hmm. so here's you you kind of brought this up and so let's get to it because uh i think this is i think this is really interesting mm -hmm. and i'm curious to even see how you have reacted to this i think you did a, like a facebook live chat kind of on the subject before but basically he's at the university of colombo mm -hmm. uh um, and he's asked by a Hindu um, that although those who captained the slave ships brought slaves and traded them back and forth were Christians and sometimes ministers um, quoted by or sometimes ministers who quoted Paul to keep people in bondage. So he, he makes a statement and he says, how do you reconcile following Christ if what a a uh, if this is what a this is what Christians in a Christian nation does. Mm -hmm. And then he basically accuses Thurman of being a traitor with yeah. those with dark skin. Yeah. And so um, we can talk about how Thurman responded to that. But I'm curious because I've heard you talk about this as a black pastor. How have you responded to yeah. that? That's a great question. Yeah. And I'm going to ask you a flip question uh, uh -oh. as well. <laughs> but you know, education, man, that's the key. Like yeah. Education really uh -huh. is the key to understand like, is to, to, to reconcile that um, mm -hmm. i actually underlined it because the question comes up again uh da, 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 what page is that? i don't know if we got the same page i'm on page 14. page 14 we have the same picture in our book on our front of our right, book, so. the same. yeah but you know he, it, it brings it up there um as well i think are we talking about the same thing so what I quoted from was like on pages two and three. Okay. Oh, wait, no. Uh, yeah, three and five. Okay, yeah, our five, pages are different. Experience, okay. Um, yeah, our pages are different. But yeah, you're, that's that's in my book. You know, that's what that's the conversation uh -huh. he's having. Um, and there's another part in there where uh, Kwame Torre or uh, Stokely uh, Carmichael, he, uh, you know, he was kind of doing it in Martin Luther King's generation. Mm -hmm. um, and that's actually in the introduction he talked about that. Whereas the question of why, what, what's the reconciliation? What's the reconciliation between how Christians treat the oppressed? Why is it that the oppressed would worship the God of the oppressor? Mm -hmm. Well, the answer to that question is the gods of the oppressor did not command the oppression. Mm. Yeah. And that oppression is the result of a superiority complex that was developed by all cultures. You know, certain people are superior to others. And when I have this superiority, then, and I like it, and I get, there's that word again, comfortable with that, mm -hmm. it's not easy to relinquish that. It's not easy to go away. Um, and I think that's the situation where we have to get the church out of the way of Jesus. Um, we have to get the individuals out of the way of Jesus, which is what he does so well in this book. Um, but the reality is, um, when you have individuals who are knowledgeable of the oppression of the slave ship owners, of the slave masters, of the Jim Crow leaders, of those who are going from church to a lynching <laughs> right back to church. Talked about that in the book. You know, when you know that is what's going on, how can you still worship that? And people still do worship that same Christian God. That means there's more to it. Mm -hmm. And what happens is we gotta have to stop looking at the ills of some and we got to look at it. Well, what's the more to it that is keeping people connected to this faith, especially when it's not for many of the people that came over on slave ships. It's not their indigenous faith. 
So yeah. what is it that did it? What pulled them over? Yeah. And there's amazing writings on that. There's amazing books on that. Yeah. Um, journals of mm-hmm. people who uh, people who truly had divine encounters with Christ. Yeah. You know, in spite of why? Because Jesus is there for those with their backs up against the wall. Yeah. And these people got their backs up against the wall and they have an encounter with this Jesus. And next thing you know, that real encounter made created or set the stage for a real continued faith in him. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, you have you gotta separate the two. If you can't separate the two, um, then you're gonna have problems. Yeah. Always yeah. gonna have problems. Yeah. I did that. I, I a few weeks ago I flipped that on one of my Tuesday talks and I said, you know, not only do blacks now have to answer that, but now guess what? White evangelicals have to answer that. <laughs> white evangelicals now have to answer the same question it's like how can y'all still be a part of the church mm-hmm. and how can y'all say the same you know be the be a part of the same religion as a donald trump yeah yeah <laughs> you know and mm-hmm. and that's what a lot of things that's what kind of mm-hmm. and i did this a couple of weeks ago this is what yeah. turned a lot of people off to the white church mm-hmm. this man by the name of donald trump because he's going around carrying the bible and i'm not the person that's going to rate or judge anybody's spirituality and things yeah. like that but he didn't make Christianity look good at all. Yeah. And the close association with him and Christianity turned people off to Christianity. Mm-hmm. And the same question is now can be presented to many of those who, um, you know, during the first election felt as though, eh, not the best choice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but we're going to yeah. vote for him anyway. Yeah. And, you know, and not to say that it was all terrible and all bad. I'm not one of these extreme yeah. Trump bashers, but yeah. he did not make Christianity look good. Yeah. But he was not afraid. And he was very upfront and very bold about presenting himself as a Christian. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so what do you think about that? So what do I think about that? <laughs> yeah. So I actually think that um, a lot of people felt like they had their backs against the wall mm-hmm. and he was the person who was going mm. to save them in our country. Mm. Wow. Um, and so one of the things that I've been careful to do, because I, so I believe the right and the left have it completely wrong right now in our country. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think anybody who is all in for Trump or all in for Biden has got it completely wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, what I think is a lot of white evangelicals saw um, or, or, or believe they see, right, our, our culture um, slipping into uh, um, a time where, like, even, like, free speech, freedom of religion, um, kind of the Constitution kind of under mm-hmm. attack. And don't get me wrong, like, the Constitution and the Bible are not the same thing. Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of, especially white evangelical Christians, see the constitution protecting their right to to practice their faith mm-hmm. um and sometimes we we kind of mix the two up a little bit as well um and we'll go with who ever says they're going to protect that mm-hmm. sort of thing and so like some things so, so some like areas where uh i think even like president trump probably did a fairly good job of protecting some of those issues where some of the court appointees mm-hmm. that he had. Um, I, I do think want to protect like religious freedom and even the fr- freedom of speech. Now we can even like when it comes to uh, how to rule on maybe different economic issues or whatever, however you feel about economic issues. I think that's another, another conversation to have. Um, 
also, when it comes to this issue, I guess on like even the white evangelical church being squarely behind Trump, I feel like the white ev- evangelical church is actually very split on that. Oh, it is. Um, I personally don't run around in any circles with pastors that are like all in mm-hmm. for uh, the person of President Trump um, or even every one of his policies. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, I, mean, I know a decent amount of pastors. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I know some that are like all in, but like not really in the circles that I run around with. Um, and so sometimes I feel like that critique, although it's somewhat fair, right? <laughs> um, I also feel like it's somewhat of a mischaracterization. Uh, kind of like if one of if somebody would say, "Well, all the black pastors are incompletely for the Democratic Party, right. like in President Biden and all of his policies." I would say, like, "Well, hold on a second, like, you know, I'm not sure that's the case. You know, they may resonate for, with some of these policies because they believe these are the best policies mm-hmm. to help." help their families or to help their communities uh, or, you know, whatever. But I'm not sure that they're, they're all in. Now there are obviously just as there are prominent evangelical pastors who hitch their wagon to president Trump. I'm just not going to hitch my wagon to any, to any political, anybody in office. Like I've just made that decision. Like I have my preferences when it comes to policy and even parties right now. But, like, I'm not, like, I'm refusing to hitch my wagon yeah. to a political party. Like, Jesus didn't. Right, right. Jesus could have started a political movement. <laughs> and, and, and the movement he started was the church, mm-hmm. which was not a, it, it was not a movement to, to gain control of governmental power. Right. It was an underground movement of, of, of people who believe that, the kingdom of God is moved forward by the people of God uh, who have been saved by God and have decided to follow the way of God, which is Jesus Christ. Um, and the context to me of the local and global church. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just don't I, I, like, I'm thankful for nations. Like I'm thankful for our nation. Uh, I think there are there. I actually think there is kind of a somewhat of a moral decline in some areas of our culture and that we're, we're destroying some institutions and systems that I think are, are very important mm-hmm. for humanity oh, yeah. uh, and even freedom of religion and all those sorts of things. Um, while at the same time, like my primary allegiance is, is to Christ and his church. Mm-hmm. Like I'm just not going to, to worship or get, a hundred percent behind like any person or, or leader or, or whatever. Yeah. Um, so that's what, but can you see mm-hmm. a slight compare, like the slight mm-hmm. comparison there? Oh yeah. Like the, <laughs> like the, the accusations like, that are being made mm-hmm. there. Oh yeah. 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 So, you know, and that's, yeah. and, and like mm-hmm. you said, it's not all true. Like it's yeah. not true. Um, you know, it's not true that you can, it's not true and it's not fair to lump all of, white Christendom mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> behind, you know, Donald Trump. Yeah. Like that's, you know, like that's what it is, but that's what the association became. Yeah. And I think that's been used against the church, unfortunately. And I, to answer the question, mm-hmm. um, you know, as an African-American pastor, born and raised yeah. Christian in a Christian home. Um, yeah. The, 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 what's been ingrained into my 
theology was been ingrained into my mindset is obviously, (laughs) (laughs) obviously somebody took something that was very good and did something very bad with it. You know, there is nothing, nothing whatsoever in the words of Christ that supports, undergirds, or, um, or, or, or motivates racism. Nothing. Mm-hmm. It does the exact opposite. So obviously yeah. somebody's doing, got it wrong. Yeah. And when once 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 stuff becomes institutionalized, once things become established, and it gets that word again, comfortable, mm-hmm. people gonna fight to keep it that way. Yeah. And, yeah. And that's why it lasts for so long. Yeah. Like the reason slavery lasted so long when it became obviously clear that this is unethical. Mm-hmm. And it became more and more clear it was unethical. But is money we make it? Yeah. <laughs> the economic impact is gonna have on it. We could they couldn't figure that out. They could not figure it out. How can we do this? How can we can we let these states have slavery and we not have it? Can we Continue slavery for the like the, one of the major concerns was economically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> What's the impact going to be on us? Not just because we're losing all this free labor in the South, but also what are we going to do with all these liberated slaves? Yeah, you know. So it's that word comfort, man. Comfort definitely prolongs injustice. It does, and I think it keeps us from growing and actually being like Jesus. I mean, even that question you asked me about Trump, like, right, it's uncomfortable. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Um, You know, for a number of reasons, like, because, like, I'm like, like, I don't, you know, people might, like, I don't hate everything Trump. Like, I don't hate everything Biden. Like, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, and I think we're so polarized right now. It's just like, but how do we, how do we move forward in our society right now without actually having conversations, you know? And being a little nuanced, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like and so, yeah. I don't think we can. Yeah, I, I don't think we can either. One of the things that Thurman says, uh, this is the way that Thurman responded to that question, just for people listening. Um, and I think your response is fantastic and even contextual. I think it was the right contextually to talk about together today. But he says this about Jesus: so Jesus was a Jew, so he had a unique re- racial experience uh, linked to Jewish history. Uh, the second thing he says is that Jesus was a poor Jew. Uh, this is. Um, and I, you talked about this a little while ago, this idea that he was born into a poor family, or at least they were poor while they were younger, uh, for sure, because they dedicated um, turtle doves and pigeons uh, when it was uh, time to go to the temple, which uh, you, other, if you were wealthier, you would have had a lamb. Right. Um, and then he was a member of a minority group and a larger dominant controlling group. And so uh, at this point in time, uh, they were, his people were dominated by the Romans. I mean, mm-hmm. they were under Roman control. Right. They were paying taxes to the Romans. They were having to give homage to the Romans. I mean, they could practice Judaism to a certain extent, mm-hmm. but uh, unlike, to a certain extent, unlike Christianity, um, or at least the way we express it as Protestants in, here in the West now, um, Judaism, to a certain extent, was a theocracy. Mm-hmm. Like, um, and so... And just in general, like Israel believed that they should have their own land and own place, and just like they do today. Mm-hmm. Um, and they didn't. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of the, the, the place that Jesus and Jews find themselves in. And it's basically a humiliating place to be. And so one of the things and what we'll get to here in the coming weeks and Thurman gets to is basically how does Jesus 
stand out against other revolutionaries of his time? Or how does Jesus stand out against, um, you know, other people, other Jewish people who are struggling with this problem? Yeah. And, um, and and so uh, I'm going to, I'm going to ask, uh, I, I want to talk about this because I think this is, just interesting for us to think about before we move into the following chapters and maybe we'll talk about a few more things before we shut this thing down. Sure. But um, Howard Thurman actually talks, he, he didn't talk about the Pharisees, which is interesting, but he talks about how two different other Jewish groups responded to basically the dominant Ro Roman culture. Um, and he says one of the Sadducees, and he basically the Sadducees are kind of the upper class Jewish people um, right in our Sunday school classes, we say they're sad, you see, because they didn't believe in the resurrection. Mm -hmm. But um, they were they were really kind of the upper social class. They were wealthy. They were educated. And when the Romans kind of came in, they had a decision to make, like to become Roman mm -hmm. <laughs> or to kind of fight back and resist the Romans, at least in, in practice mm -hmm. um, and not capitulate to Roman culture. Uh, but really what happened is they decided like, hey, out of self-preservation, right, out of comfort, out of security, well, let's work or, or basically let's join the Romans uh, to help uh, keep our people in line. <laughs> um, that way we make sure that we can maintain uh, our status, mm -hmm. like among our people and then the people who are... Uh, controlling us in, at this point in time, which have been the Romans. And so I think they're, they're an example of what it looks like to kind of capitulate to culture yeah. for Christians, really to join any group yeah. uh, that seems to um, have power at any certain time or even kind of is the dominant culture. I, I think Christians need to stop and ask, like, am I being a Sadducee? Am I doing mm. this out of comfort? Uh, insecurity or am I doing this really like because this is yeah. what I should be doing um, and like sometimes like when it comes to the politics like it's almost a zero-sum game right like mm -hmm. especially when you go to the polls like okay I got to vote for this person right. or this person but like after you make the vote like you can be nuanced yeah. right like yeah. you, you don't have to be all in Right. Any like you, you can tell like you can be, you can be persecuted at one minute and loved at the other mm -hmm. by the same people, <laughs> uh, like to follow Jesus. Like, yeah. um, so do you like capitulate to culture, which is, which he he shows the Sadducees, or do you become a zealot? Mm -hmm. Now, who are the zealots? You explain who the zealots are <laughs> for us. The zealots are those people who tear it up, yeah, overthrow it. <laughs> they're the violent ones, the right? Violent ones, yeah. Mm -hmm. they're, yeah. I mean, a lot of people. You know, I would encourage anybody who really wants to understand the significance of the gospel. So, really, you don't have to go to school. You don't get a book on the culture and the times of Jesus Christ, because you know we think there's, you know, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and Jesus. Like, but they're really such a uh, just. Israel was nowhere near a monolith. 
um, at that particular time. Mm-hmm. There are so many people. I mean, you got the people who are following John. You got the people, yeah. you know. Yeah, you, you got, got the Essenes, right? right? So you, you have the Essenes that they, so, so that's, yeah, that's another group. They retreat from culture. Right. <laughs> right. He doesn't talk about that, but like that yeah. was their response to culture. Like we're just mm-hmm. going to have anything to do with it. We're going to go out to the <laughs> desert, right? We're going to read the Bible. Um, and we're going to chill, <laughs> right? That's it, right? Yeah. So I mean, wait, wait for wait for the Messiah. For I mean, that's what they were doing. That was what they were doing. Let, yeah. what they were doing. And a lot of people don't recognize it mm-hmm. because, and I understand it was mm-hmm. not, it was not. These things did not impress themselves upon the ministry of Jesus Christ as much as the Pharisees, Sadducees, did. the zealots, not so much. I mean, because the zealots, like it. As you talk about this, one thing that amazes me is that Rome put up with Israel for so long and it speaks to you know just the divine promises over them because you know the Alexandrian vision was to have a world where you have one language one financial system one religion Mm -hmm. you know and they allow Israel to basically say you can hold on to yours uh, hold on to your faith hold on to your religion they just tolerated and put up with them you know, up until they said no, no more of this. <laughs> yeah, until 70, <laughs> yeah, 70, I think 70 AD. Yeah, yeah uh, they're like, no more of this. I mean, and the only people who survived, um, surprisingly enough, were the Pharisees. <laughs> like the Pharisees that um, uh, were kind of relented, and, you know, kind of backed away. You know, they were the ones that were kind of, you know, like you said, they were the ones that were kind of like, hey, let's, let's you know, see if we can make this thing work. Um, so we have the. That's why we don't hear too much about the zealots and the Essenes, the Essenes and all those yeah. other cats. They were all, you know, pretty much dispersed um, yeah. out of uh, Rome. But to your point, um, or to your question, yeah, man, this is this is um, this the the zealots. Uh, they were the individuals uh, who would not have well served Israel if they were the dominant, uh, influencing people group at that particular time. They wanted to do what many people feel is the most effective way to deal with a problem and that's blow up the problem mm-hmm. violence violence yeah violence and jesus coming in in the way that he did you know just being able to have so much impact and influence mm-hmm. with a brand new message and this message is love yeah love the power of love the power of imposing your will in love and through love you know was something that was very 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 impactful at the time period and that is what impacted Howard Thurman yeah one of the things he says about the zealots and he means this I think about the Sadducees too is the idea like not being controlled by forces out outside of you Mm -hmm. beyond uh, you know, I can't remember, I, actually, because I, I have to reread the other book. So, like, as, as Christians, follower of Christ, like, so not being controlled by forces outside of the power and work of the Holy Spirit is kind mm-hmm. of the way that I would think of it, mm-hmm. right? And and so um, it's this idea, like, even with zealotry, he says, if a man can make you lose your temper, he yep. can control you, control right? Or, like, for the Sadducees, right, if, if this popular group and culture or whatever it might be can control you to a certain extent to where you'll capitulate to mm-hmm. what they want you to do uh like they control you mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um and so uh he uh, this is kind of what even makes him uh, you could probably th- i think you could throw him into the mystic category 
um, or I'd say like really even the psychological, the, the psychological spiritual category is probably to me maybe a, a better place to even put him is that uh, he goes on to basically say, um, I might have to look it up here, but um, uh, let me look it up. Sure. Page 18. Um, pages are different. Yeah, let's see here. Oh, Aruna, I had it on top of my head um, and then forgot about it. Um, let's see. Okay, yeah. Um, he recognizes with the authentic realism that anyone who permits another to determine the quality of his inner life give into the hands of the keys yeah. of his destiny. And he says, the basic fact that Christianity, as it was born in the mind of its Jewish teacher and thinker, appears a technique of the survival of the press. And so what? So one of the things that um, he wants us to do or to think about that, it, like, if your mind is right um, and it is given wholly to a particular cause or a particular person, in this sense, like Jesus Christ, mm -hmm. it, you can't be conquered. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. And so, well, as we get into like some of these other issues in the weeks to come, um, he's basically saying that's the type of person who actually can never even, like op oppression uh, cannot last mm -hmm. in those types of people. Mm -hmm. And so he's going to go on to say, basically, like the person, the type of person that you become is even more important than what you do. Mm. Which is really interesting, yeah. right? Like, because yeah. I do think, like, there, and that, that's a real argument people are having uh, in our, our culture um, in, and in and outside of the church. Mm -hmm. Is it who you are becoming or what you do mm -hmm. that is more important? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and he, I, he makes the basic point, uh, his argument is that Jesus argues it's actually your inner life and who you are becoming and who you're leading other people to become mm -hmm. is more important than even the things that you do. Mm. Uh, you some, a lot of pushback on that one. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, that's his argument. That's the argument. I, I agree with Right. That. And I mean, I think that's, I think that's what Jesus teaches. I, I think it does too. I mean, especially when you consider the losers that he said, come be a part of what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, the tax collector who's, clearly in a position of exploiting and most likely is exploiting his very own people which is why they were not liked yeah. you know um you got peter where i just spent all this time with jesus and when jesus is about to get arrested first thing i want to do is chop somebody's head off but because i'm a fisherman and not a swordsman i'm a bad shot mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> and i sliced his ear while i was really probably going for his head yeah. you know these like jesus what are you doing like mm -hmm. why are you with these people yeah you know and it's to that point because it's about what's being formulated in them, what they're going to become. Mm -hmm. I see what they're going to become on this path yeah. and on this road. Yeah, I agree with that. And, and, and I mean, so yeah, and Jesus, I mean, like he, Jesus teaches like out of the heart comes what, right? It yeah. basically comes all our oh. sinful attitudes and actions. And it also comes all the good things that oh. we do, like over the long haul, yeah. right? <laughs> our, our heart reveals who we are. Yeah. Um, that's, that's what Jesus teaches. And so Jesus is trying to change the hearts mm. of of humanity, men, women, people like you and I, so that out of our hearts flows righteousness and goodness. Like over the long haul, like if people are worried about our, 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 our country or our churches or whatever, 
um, like it, it's not that I don't think legislation is important or that politics are unimportant. Not at all. And neither has the black church historically. Like it's been extremely important. Exactly. Um, and it's been needed. Um, and I, I think they're needed today. While at the same time, like I think we are in a ton of trouble in this country if we think that's the only mm-hmm. way right. or if that's the primary way like we are going to move forward as a church um, or even as a nation like if there is not some real change deep down in the hearts of followers of jesus christ to ask themselves am i becoming more like jesus mm-hmm. so that now like when people see me out in the world uh acting and expressing myself like they actually see christ i'm actually able to react like jesus would to whatever situation we don't always do that correctly right but like with without the work of christ in us and becoming more like christ like we won't do it at all um and uh like if we just focus on 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 on, on politics all the time or the mechanics of politics and not who are who are americans becoming because who we are becoming is eventually actually what we will do. Correct. Like, yeah. like, and if we're just becoming angry, hateful people, violent people, uh, um, and like, again, I'm not pointing sides, like either side of whether you're, you consider yourself right or left or whatever. If that's like, if, though, if inwardly, even if we're not expressing that violently at the moment or in, in unrighteous ways at the moment, if we aren't helping people become more loving, yeah. uh, more patient, yeah. more kind, yeah. more generous, more compassionate. Uh, if we aren't teaching people how to, how, how to have conversations yeah. with people who are different than us, like that's where like real decay, I think takes place. Um, and I think Thurman understands that really well. He really does, man. And he's in a long line of, thinkers who understand that as well, mm-hmm. white and black. Um, I'm thinking back to you know, the 1500s, the not very well-known theologian Erasmus, mm-hmm. where he was an individual where he was like, man, we got, you know, we, we, to, to sum up his ministry in my Brendanism, he, <laughs> he, he was just like, man, we don't, we don't stray too far off the course. We, yeah. we don't made it too complicated. Mm-hmm. It's really about living according to the teachings of christ yeah like can we get back to that <laughs> like yeah. can we get back to just what did christ teach let's live that out and mm-hmm. it convicted me as a pastor it's like man where am i preaching on sunday yeah and like am i really preaching and imploring people to one repent of their sins mm. and two let's go after that life that jesus christ promised us yeah and said he's going to empower us to live like, am I really doing that? Or am I really just, okay, let me try and make sure I preach well enough for them to come back next week. Mm-hmm. You know, am uh, I, let me just make sure I'm preaching something new that, no, you know what I mean? Something that yeah. they've never heard before, something yeah. innovative. And I believe that's one of the reasons the church is in so much problem because we strayed away from the core tenets of Jesus' message. It's just yeah. like, if, if, if our church is, and it's so sad because, you know, one of the... <laughs> You know, one of the things when you talk about church problems and any mm-hmm. issue in the church yeah. and all that stuff, that's what the first thing people say, man, church folk. Yeah. You know, say, oh, yeah. my gosh, church folk. Like, we are characterized yeah. in the exact opposite fashion that Jesus was. Yeah. 
which is a problem. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, and, and that's that, that's like you said, that's that, that's the mystical bend that I think Howard Thurman is placed on, on places on his teaching um, that will strike a chord with us, man. Cause it's like, we really think about it. It's like, what, what are we emphasizing? What yeah. are we not emphasizing? What, when do we stop emphasizing? If we stopped, if we kept emphasizing it from the beginning, and let that be the main message. Would have there ever been slavery? Would mm. there have ever been, you know, brutal, uh, brutal crusades and religious wars? Like yeah. if we, when did we lose it? Yeah. <laughs> when did it flip to where oh, Christ carries a sword now? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, when does that happen? Yeah. Yeah. And. <laughs> so, Go back to Erasmus, the precursor to Luther, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Mm -hmm. so, I mean, like, to me, we lose it when we stop preaching and teaching Jesus. Yeah. Like, for who he really was and is. Yeah. Um, uh, Because that's that's really what Erasmus was trying to get at. Like, what we are doing right now in the church is not Jesus. And, And so that's even, like, my impulse right now like in our church like i'm gonna preach the loop <laughs> like exactly. like you know like exactly. this is jesus like i guarantee like this is going to challenge me yeah like it's yeah. going to challenge some of my habits my pre- preconceived notions like yeah. i know what Luke's, like i've read luke i don't know how many times i've yeah. read luke right um but i know that i'm not practicing and probably believing everything that luke has recorded mm-hmm. and said about jesus wow. um and I assume people in our congregation aren't either. Uh, I assume he's going to challenge them. I also assume, like, the people who are uh, um, from the outside sometimes, like, criticizing the church and always bashing the church and all these sorts of things, like, if they, re- if they even really knew what Jesus said about some of the issues that they're passionate about, um, and... Uh, uh, Jesus's early followers said about some of the issues that they are very passionate mm-hmm. about. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> they still they wouldn't like the church even if they were like Jesus. <laughs> like I mean, like yeah. you know. So it's one of those things that like um, I'm I'm actually and and maybe I'm wrong about this. I'm actually a believer that Christians have always been somewhat in the minority. Mm-hmm. Like there have been certain ethics, mm-hmm. ethos, mm-hmm. worldviews to a certain extent that I think have been in the majority. And so in the West, I would say like kind of the Christian worldview, if, if you can say that, it's, it's even hard to say that you have a Christian worldview unless you believe that Christ is king of the world. So like, <laughs> like that even itself like right. is on shaky ground. Yeah. Um, but some of the ethics that come out in, in the Western worldview, I do think have their foundations mm-hmm. probably on the Bible. Uh, and the way that we've dealt through history with struggling with yeah. what it means to be a follower of Christ, the church being in the midst of the West. And uh, so that's a really complex question to have at a different time right now. Um, but I, I think uh, people who are intent on trying to follow Christ and be a part of his church mm-hmm. as expressed in the New Testament, like passed down by the apostles, I think those people have always been in the minority. I agree. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, that's, yeah. you know. Well, this is good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
We're talking about Erasmus and yeah. Martin Luther. Cool. Yeah, yeah. So I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, one thing that people struggle with is the you know being able to decipher or to recognize the difference between disciple of Christ and a member of Christendom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Two very different things. You know, there's the institution that is primarily the construct of our thoughts, theologies, doctrines, all this other stuff. And then there's the invisible church. You know, that mm-hmm. invisible church that Jesus Christ established. You yeah. know, that invisible church that even though you're across the street from me on you know what I mean, we're yeah. still worshiping the same yeah. God. You know, yeah. that invisible yeah. church that we need to begin to reemphasize so that people can recognize, okay, is this church really concerned about my soul or is this really concerned about my attendance? Mm-hmm. Is this church really going to help me get better in Christ or is this yeah. church just wants me to make sure that I'm a long-term member? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. two different, two very different things. They can be. Yeah, I don't think they're mutually exclusive Mm-mm. because I think like as a pastor, like I want you here on yeah. Sunday morning because I'm concerned about your soul. Right. Right, like, even like you look at New Testament Christianity, and we're on a whole different topic right now than Thurman. But, but like if you look at New Christian, New Testament Christianity, like it always takes place in the context of the church, yeah. like in the gathering of the church, even mm-hmm. the local yeah. church. Oh yeah, of course. Uh, and so like, the New Testament is actually after you get out of the Gospels and Acts, all it is is a critique almost of the church. Exactly. Um, but something that is never said is quit being a part of the church. That's true. If you like read the New Testament, like. <laughs> Very like true. even Revelation, I mean, like John, like is just laying into the church, mm-hmm. but it's not like, hey, quit gathering together. Right. It's get your gathering right. Exactly. Like it's it's reform it. It's exactly. it's make it more like Christ. Mm-hmm. Make your people more like Jesus. Mm-hmm. Is is always the call. Um, so I think our culture has that wrong as well right now. But like, you know, I just think, I, I think we're in a time though, where we can get this right, hopefully. Um, I mean, it's been a struggle, right? It's always been a struggle. Uh, because because more and more people actually, I do think, want to know, okay, what does the Bible actually say? What's like, what does Jesus actually teach? Like, mm-hmm. And because I do think culture is kind of moving away from, uh, I, I think the Christian culture is disappearing to a certain extent. Um, uh like you're not given the benefit of the doubt anymore by a lot of people just because you say you're a Christian minister um, in different places of the country, especially, mm-hmm. uh, or even because you're a Christian. In fact, some places that will make people much more skeptical and hostile towards you. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Uh, even in our, you know, in, in the United States. Um, so, so I, I think I think going back to Howard Thurman's book, I think it's helpful right now for any Christian too who may even feel that we are becoming more or or culture is becoming more and more hostile mm. to you. And now, if that is if you believe that's the case, whether you believe that's the case or not, um, or anybody else listening to this, whether you're Christian or not, and you believe that's the case or not. I, if if you believe that's the case, I think Thurman's book would even be important to you. Like you might even not even like race conversations or right. whatever, but like if you feel like you're the person, or even Christianity, uh, 
is the group, right, with their backs against the wall right now or will be in the future, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. read Thurman's book. That's true. Um, you know, if you are curious about what Jesus has to say, if you just like to uh, try to understand um, what Jesus has to say for the poor, the oppressed, the disinherited, um, and you're not even a Jesus follower, Right. And, and curious about how Thurman and, and Jesus addresses that. I think you should read Thurman's book. Like it's, yeah. it's good. Yeah. Um, and I, I think you'll uh, hear the heart of Christ. So we're going to end there. Um, Amen. Yeah. We've been at this, for, man, it's time flies. Like we've it's been at this for almost an hour and 15 minutes. Good conversation. Uh, and so it's just, yeah, it's such a good conversation. Just love getting to hang out. Um, so next week, what we're going to do is we're going to come back. Let me just kind of tell people, uh, what we are going to discuss. What order is the book. Week? Order the book. It'd be so much better. Yeah, the conversation yeah. would be so much better if you order the book. Read, read fear. With... We're talking about fear next oh, yeah. week. So how to, how to uh, <laughs> deal with fear. So, hey, man, I, I really thank you for being here and look forward to next week. Um, and, uh, yeah, continuing this conversation. Thanks mm-hmm. for listening to the First Church Podcast. Like I said, hit the like button, subscribe, um, and uh, get the book, most importantly. Um, I guess more important than that, uh, read your Bible and uh, try to follow Jesus. (laughs) Exactly. So thanks, brother. Yes, sir. Thank you.